Welcome to a Minor Detail Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Miner. I'm an independent journalist. You could say I'm a bit of a disruptor. I write about and report on Maryland politics and other Maryland news at aminordetail.com. This is episode 264. Today is Monday, April the 21st. My guest is former Maryland Democratic Congressman Kwayeze Nfume. Representative Nfume is poised to return to Congress after the special election, which is held next week on Tuesday, April the 28th. Congressman, welcome uh-huh. for the first time to a Minor Detail podcast. It's a pleasure having you today, sir. And I want to begin by talking about how you arrived at this moment to seek your seat that you uh, previously served in, which is the 7th Congressional District. But, of course, last year, Representative Elijah Cummings, he passed away, and you and the late congressman, you held a special bond, a friendship. You had a mutual respect for one another. So much so, you spoke at his funeral service and you offered a moving tribute to your late friend. Congressman, could you speak today about your relationship with the late Elijah Cummings and what he meant to you and to the 7th District? Sure, Ryan. First of all, thank you for allowing me to to join you. It's an, uh, an honor. I appreciate it. And I will take just a couple of minutes to talk about Elijah and uh, what I meant to him, but more specifically what he meant to me. We were friends for 42 years. Uh, We came up politically together when we were both just volunteering in different campaigns and trying to learn the political process at a grassroots level. Um, Elijah uh, worked hard at what he did, and I don't think he or I ever thought that we would have been elected to the Congress. We were working hard to get other people elected to city council and legislative seats. Um, But you know, life has a funny way of reorganizing itself. And, you know, in August of last year, Elijah and I were on the phone uh, having a conversation the way we normally do and laughing and joking about things. Uh, I was concerned about his illness. As you know, I chair the board of regents at Morgan State University. Elijah was a member of that board. And so we just had all of these relationships that crossed over into one another. And on that specific day, we were just talking about the crazy stuff that you talk about sometimes. And uh, I remember him saying in an effort to try to cheer me up, uh, he said, well, you know, I can't wait till October comes. I'm going to throw this damn walker away. I'm going to walk back in, grab my gavel and call into session my committee. And I tried to cheer him up. I said, well, Elijah, look. We're somewhere around the same age. So before you throw that away, don't throw it too far. I might need that walker one day. And we laughed and joked about it and didn't think much else about that. Went on and had a conversation. And uh, lo and behold, it would be three months later, uh, unknown to either of us, that the death angel would visit Elijah and take him away. Um, That moment in time for me is kind of frozen when I first learned of his passing because the unbelievable was believable. He was really gone. And I thought it was important that his widow, his mentor, 
his pastor and his friend sit together and try to figure out what now happens to the district and what's the best way to move forward. And I tried calling that meeting uh, twice and it just never happened. Um, his widow was not available. So after a while and after a couple of weeks um, and after the urging by Elijah's mentor, a law professor, Larry Gibson, uh, and after a great deal of conversation with my family and prayer, I decided to get in to become a candidate uh, so that the voters would have a choice. And I've always trusted that voters would do the right thing and that we would see what happened. And what happened was after a uh, campaign from November through February, I was fortunate enough to be elected uh, with 43% of the vote out of a field of, I think, 23 candidates. So we are where we are now, uh, approaching this April 28th mail-in election, where people are receiving ballots and mailing in ballots. We only have nine days or so left for them to get them in. And then after that, the June 2nd election, Ryan, as you know, which is the presidential primary, but it is also the main election to select a representative in Congress for the next two years. Yeah, Congressman, you know, you're you're 71 years old. You're a young man by today's standards and people in politics, our national leaders are, uh, sometimes they're in their 80s. And of course, if Joe Biden is elected, um, he'll turn 80 in, uh, in, in, in the presidency. You left Congress in 1996 to serve as the president of the NAACP. And Congressman, American politics, the American people today, I, I think we are arguably the most divided we have been in decades. And you could stay home. You could continue to be an advocate on the sidelines and still have an effective voice to have a, a platform to, to seek change um, and to, to spark new people to get involved. And with a lot less stress, but going back to Congress, and it's Washington is a, a strange place these days. I'm interested. What is your motivation to return to public life after so many years of public service already? Well, I'd like to think it's the same motivation that's in my DNA and that was in Elijah's DNA. We were just brought up to believe that public service had a nobility about it and that it was a calling and that you should not seek to get rich or famous, but to do the right thing. And then everything else would follow. And so you're right, I guess I could have just sat back and watched this, but I've never believed that life was a spectator sport. And because I know that it's important in the United States Congress uh, to follow strong leadership with strong leadership. So I don't think so much about uh, my age or how many years I may have left. I think about what I can do now and what I can do to try to make a difference. Uh, I'm not a perfect servant. Uh, this is not a perfect nation, but I think as Americans, we're still called to a perfect mission. And that mission in many respects means to make sure we uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless, teach the illiterate, provide guidance for our young people, security for our seniors, to make sure that economically our country is buoyant and that the opportunity for people to take advantage of what we've always known as the American dream is available for all people. So that's why I could not sit still and I probably would have kicked myself uh, for who knows how long if I didn't at least offer myself to the public. Now, the public will reject you if they don't like what they're getting. So I was prepared for that also. But it is uh, absolutely essential for me that I use every waking hour that I have, every year that I have, 
to try to do something for a society that my children and grandchildren growing up in, and that for our families, mine, yours, and all the people who don't even support me, their families and the offspring of those families will be growing into a world that I think we have a chance to make better. And I think we have to try to do that. Congressman, the coronavirus, the global pandemic has upended virtually every aspect of our lives. In fact, I don't think we know anyone who it has not impacted. And your upcoming special election has been profoundly impacted by the move to a later primary, a primary date and by a mail-in balloting process. In fact, the governor amended that process uh, because of the coronavirus and to continue to prevent Marylanders from, uh, you know, from the possibility of being uh, infected. Are you confident in the process, and there have been a few hiccups so far with the distribution of the ballots and the confusion over the stamps. And I'm hoping today you can just clarify that process and confirm with voters that it it should work as it should. Yeah, thanks, uh, Ryan, for bringing that up. You know, we're doing something we've never done before, and we're doing it with very short notice in the state. And I've said all along, uh, the governor did the right thing by not putting poll workers at risk in an all-out election, as we've seen in a couple of other states. Um, people should think about a couple of things here. This is the first time, and there's always probably going to be a hiccup the first time you do anything. In this instance, there was some confusion over whether or not you needed two postage stamps on the envelope to mail it back. You really don't. It's marked prepaid postage, which means that's already been paid for. The issue, though, is that someone got the bright idea, I don't know where, uh, to put on the ballot, you know, if you'd like to defray our costs, please use your own postage stamps, mm -hmm. which really should not have been on there. I know that the Board of Elections probably wanted to do just that, defray the cost, but what they've done was create confusion in the minds of voters. Do I mail it? Do I not mail it? Do I have a, need a stamp? Do I not need a stamp? Instead, what we should be reminding people is that you have to mark your ballot, preferably with dark ink. You fill in the oval for the candidate you're going to vote for, that you have to sign your ballot, uh, acknowledging that you are who you say you are, and that gets compared with the signature that's on file. And you have to date your ballot. Once you do those three things and seal it and drop it in the mail, you have actually voted. And um, the good thing here, if there is a good thing, is that we get to do this two times in a four-week period. Um, and so if Maryland has never experienced anything like this before, clearly we're going to gain a lot of knowledge about how to conduct a mail-in election. And so that's one thing. The second thing was what I referenced a moment ago, and that is the fact that you do it all over again. Yeah. Because two weeks after the winner is determined that the ballots go out for the next election, that too as you mentioned, it will be mail in. And so it's important for people to get their ballots, to open it up, to read what's inside, to mark their ballots, and, and then to mail their ballots. But this time around, Ryan, as you know, the ballots are going to look a little different. The April 28th ballot, which is the one we're mailing back now, only has two names, my name and the name of the Republican nominee. The ballot that follows that two weeks later is a presidential primary ballot. So we'll list Joe Biden, Probably Bernie is still on uh, the, the ballot and maybe one other presidential candidate. If you're in Baltimore City, it's going to list uh, a ton of mayoral candidates uh, and city council candidates. 
but in each instance, it's also going to list my name and 18 of the 23 candidates that I defeated two and a half months ago are running again. So I just need people to reaffirm what they did on uh, February 4th in that first election. And, and from my perspective, obviously, it's to vote for me and to make sure that we sign, seal and deliver this election and then allow us and particularly me to be their vote and their voice in the Congress. But it is uh, confusing to a lot of people just because it hasn't happened before. And I think more than anything else, doing programs like this, when we're actually talking about the process and being deliberately redundant about it, helps voters. I appreciate that. And I believe it's fair to say that you have nearly universal name recognition in the 7th District. You romped your Democratic opponents in the first round. So I'm interested, your mission for carrying out the late congressman's term, and should you be the nominee for the general election, what are your immediate goals upon returning to Congress? Well, one of the things that's a reality about this election is that if I am elected, I will get back a certain portion of my seniority. Uh, that's a determination of the Democratic caucus. I could get 100% seniority back. I could get 90%, 80%, but I will get some that accrues back to me. So that immediately would put me into a position going into the House of Representatives of being able to get more done, a position of uh, seniority and a position and a familiarity with the process that the other candidates uh, just simply don't have. I think they're all good people, but they don't have that. And going into the Congress at this time, this especially this time, we need experience because I think, and I know in my heart that experience matters. But one of the things that I want to do, and several of the things that I want to do, first of all, we need to deal something with the way that guns are out of control in our society. I was the one that co-authored and passed the first assault weapons ban ever in the United States Congress. It was a 10-year ban because that's all we could get was 10 years, but we thought that the Congress would, in its own wisdom, reaffirm that 10 years later. They did not. I think we need that in place and we need other gun control measures in place, not to take people's weapons, but to make sure that that weapon proliferation does not continue in our society the way it has done. My concern is about health care and finding a way to reconstruct and rebuild Obamacare, not to just patch it up and to keep it moving the way it is, but to make it stronger since we know now what the real needs are and what some of the weaknesses of that measure was. It's very, very important to me. I'm extremely important about what happens to, I mean, interested in what happens to young people in our society who become 16, 17, 18 years of age and don't have skills and don't have any idea of what they want to do and end up becoming a part of the criminal justice system, striking out against you, against me, against people in their neighborhood and against one another. We've seen the astronomical death rates that have existed uh, in particular in Baltimore City. I believe that we've got to find a way to make opportunities available for young people when they're 16 and 17. And I saw years ago what worked and what, one of the things that worked was creating apprenticeship programs, working with the unions and working with business to get young people who may not have skills into positions as interns and trainees that develop marketable skills that they can immediately go out and get hired on. Every young person is not going in the military. Every young person is not going to go in college. And for those in the middle who have the potential of dropping out of society, we've got to save them. And I think that's one of the ways we do that. But you need advocates in the Congress to talk about that. 
Our environment is out of control. Thankfully, I've been endorsed by the Sierra Club uh, nationally because of my environmental issues and concerns. We've got to find a way to deal with global warming, toxic dump sites, uh, carcinogens in our air, chemicals in our water, and the sort of things that affect us, whether we live in rural America or in urban America, that ultimately take away our ability and our health uh, and our ability to have a good quality of life. I've got concerns about education, making sure that the education bill is reauthorized mm -hmm. properly. I want to fight as much as I can for economic development and small business development in our country, which is still the economic engine that drives things. And we've got to find a way also to deal with the issue, in my opinion, of health. And the reason I talk about that is having spent the last nine years, uh, four years at the NIH Institute on Minority Health Disparities, two years as the executive director of the National Medical Association, and then five years doing research here in the Mid-Atlantic area with the Health Policy Research Consortium, I know firsthand that the disparities that exist and the disparate impact of disease in our communities is making it tough for all of us. Now that we've been visited with the COVID-19 uh, virus, we just see now how many people have comorbidities, have lupus, asthma, bronchitis, obesity, kidney disease, cardiovascular disease, and are, have weakened immune systems that can't fight the disease. Someone said to me the other day that um, pandemics don't cause disparities, they reveal disparities. Mm. So there is a huge disparity in our health in this nation that, that is important to me. So those seven or eight things are what I want to get started on right away. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's that's a good start. And I'm interested about the the process. We spoke about that earlier. Next Tuesday, of course, is the April 28th special election. You're poised for victory, no doubt. And the process, though, of setting up a congressional office, getting that up and running, and then having your team in place. I assume that you'll know th that you'll be assigned by the House of where you'll be uh, as far as the, uh, an office space. And then do, do you already have a team in place? Are you ready logistically to make this move? Yeah, I am. Um, first, because I've done it before yeah. and I know exactly what it takes and exactly how you have to put together a team. Secondly, because Elijah had a good team in place and I would think that about 50% of them are still there and eager and anxious to get going again. Thirdly, because I've had with the endorsement of Senator Ben Cardin uh, and others here in the state de delegations, uh, Senator Hoyer um, and others, opportunities now to take advantage of what is going on currently in terms of staffing uh, to be able to build up right away. Um, Congressman John Sarbanes has been very helpful. You know, I've spoken several times about this, as has myself and uh, Congressman Rupesberger. And as I said before, Senator Cardin um, and Steny Horia also are doing all they can to make sure that there is no gap at all. You know, the joke is that it takes you two years to, once you get elected, to just figure out where the restrooms are. And, uh, you know, I laughed at that early on, but that was true. And I experienced that years ago. So I know what has to be done. I know what has to be put in place. I know how to put together legislative staff. And I know how to find a way to get priority on some of these committees to start pushing for the things that are important. Well, Congressman, I can tell you that as a former congressional staffer myself, I my first job was over in the, the Longworth building, and then I was in Cannon. And then I had the misfortune often of delivering documents to Rayburn. And I tell you what, 
to this day, I still can't figure out the Rayburn House office building. It's a it's a maze in that place. <laughs> I'm smiling because I know exactly what you mean. You think the fourth floor is the fourth floor. It's and office 401 is 401, but it's not. It's, that, yeah. well, that's true. Congressman, yeah. um, I know you're a busy man and I appreciate your time today. Any parting words for the voters uh, before they send in their ballots and make their decision for who is going to elect them in this uh, in this seat? Two things, uh, Ryan. Um, the community knows me, and I know the community. And what you see with me has always been what you get. I think I offer a level of confidence and a level of comfort to voters. And I've always trusted voters. I always believe that voters do the right thing. So I don't run negative campaigns. I believe if you can't get elected on the issues, then you really don't deserve to get elected. And I believe also that at the end of the day, elections have consequences. I mean, one of the things we see now in terms of Donald Trump is that the people who are very, very upset that he got elected realize that elections do have consequences. And so we've got a chance with our one vote that we all have twice now, both this week and two weeks from now. Uh, to be able to put a vote and a voice in the Congress that you trust and believe. And I'm asking people, I'm old fashioned. I never take anything for granted. I just keep asking people to please mark their ballots for me and trust me one more time. And you know, the other thing is that um, aside from politics, I want everybody just to continue to be safe. Don't take any necessary risk. Watch and look out for your families. At the end of the day, that's what really matters in this society, our families and our loved ones. And those we know that are in particular situations where they're uh, more vulnerable to things. So no risk. Do what we have to do to get past this. And thank you, Ryan. And thank the people who have not turned off the podcast yet because they are tired of listening to me talk. But I appreciate the opportunity. Congressman Kwase and Fume, who is running in the special election and then in the general as well. Best of luck to you, sir, next week on the, uh, the special election. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Ryan. All right. I appreciate it. You can help spread the word about a Minor Detail podcast by subscribing through iTunes, iHeartRadio, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us some love by spreading on social media, please. Follow us on Twitter by searching at AMD Podcast, and please give us some love on Facebook by liking us. Visit Facebook.com slash A Minor Detail Podcast. And that's Minor, M-I-N-E-R, with an E, of course. You know, the Minor Details. For more episodes, visit a minor detail podcast.com. I'm Ryan Miner. Thanks for listening and keep it fresh.